continuing this morning going through some sections from the, the book of 1 Peter. It'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Boys and girls, make sure you have your children's bulletin. You have your own translation in there. You have a place you can uh, ask questions of myself or Pastor John Mark. And if you do so, please put your name on that so we know who to answer. We'll be, we'll be referring to that, so make sure you have that. And for the rest of you, if you want to open up your Bible apps on your phones there or a real Bible or if you have it in your bulletin, whatever you want to do, we have God's Word available to you so you can follow along. Because what we're about to do here for the next half hour is not hear from me. We're here to hear from our Creator God who has spoken and see if we can apply this to our own life. And so before we go to His Word, let's go to Him in prayer, asking Him to open this Word up to us. That would be Him who speaks to us and gives us truth. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we do come before You this morning thanking You for Your Word. We thank You that You have chosen to reveal Yourself to us in speech. And Lord, we ask that You would help us to receive it because Your Word encourages us, but sometimes it contradicts and challenges us, Lord. We pray that you would make us humble and receptive to the truth that we might see Christ and be changed. Lord, give us truth for our life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to make a confession as we begin today that I am a dog person. The only cats I've ever really liked are the cats that act like dogs. You know, the ones that they actually, I've had a couple cats where they will actually come to you. They will follow you around. They're very affectionate. They'll crawl up in your lap. You know, they act like dogs. They appreciate that you're alive. Now, cat people, you, you don't see it. But we dog people see it. You, you realize that your cats consent to live with you. And in a lot of ways, they see you as their pet. You know that, right? Dogs, though, man, dogs, they're so appreciative of you. They love you. They're glad to see you. They don't despise you. They're extravagant in their affection. And they love it most when they serve you. I enjoy my dog. Her name is Dixie. She's great. She enjoys me. We have some cats. They put up with me. I put up with them. We have a good understanding. But I am a dog person. And here's why I'm telling you that. If we take that metaphor of a dog person versus a cat person... And if we lay it on top of 1 Peter, as we have been looking at, what does it mean to be the church in America today? What does it mean to be the church in a changing culture? If we take that metaphor and put it on here, basically 1 Peter is telling us that the church is a bunch of dogs in the midst of cat people. We don't really fit in. Culture doesn't know what to do do with us more and more. And sometimes they just, frankly, don't like us. They're just not... Church people, we're just not a Christian person, sorry. But this text today, what's so great about it, it says basically that we are to be the most affectionate, loving, tail-wagging, serving dogs around because that will slowly turn our society from cat people into dog people. That's it. That's where we're going to go today. Let's see if we remember where we've been. So Peter has told us that what? The church is a chosen race. It's the word ethnos, where we get ethnicity. The church is a special spiritual ethnicity. This is why in another section of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul can say, look, man, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave nor free. There's no black or white. Y'all are Christian. It's a different ethnicity. You're not that. You're this now. That's what Peter's talking about here, too. You're a completely different ethnicity because of Jesus Christ. And that ethnicity makes us stand out. It makes us unpopular. As we saw last week specifically, it means that we talk funny and that we live funny. And folk don't understand it. In fact, a lot of times, 
they don't take too kindly to our folk around here. So the question is, as we're going to look at today, how do we live in a semi-hostile culture? Do we withdraw and be our good, pure little Christian community, keep the bad people away, and we have our nice little club, or what some might call a ghetto? Or do we engage culture as judges, as purists, and tell them what's wrong? Do we, do we choose to be second-class citizens and let ourselves be treated that way? How do we live faithfully in a culture that's just not too sure about us? That's the question of this text. What does that look like? And so with that in mind, let's see how God's Word answers us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17. through 17. This is God's Word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is God's word. So if we sum this up, God's people submit for his sake to human authority. Because that, plus our serving the community, silences foolish opposition. That's where this text is going to go today. I want to give you a theme. Maybe you can think about this over lunch today and, and see how did we do that? Did, did the pastor get there? Boys and girls, you might want to write this down so you can ask your parents about it. Here's what we're going to talk about today. It's this. Since our submission silences stupidity, we are servants to the society for our sovereign. I thought for those of you who are S-challenged like me, I'd make you slow down when you read it. So, since our submission silences stupidity, we are servants to the society for our sovereign. That's where we're going to go today. We submit to authority, Peter tells us, and serve the good because it silences fools when we value them. So let's see how that works together. First thing we're going to look at is submitting to the supreme I want to remind you of where we've been because these verses exist in a context. This is one letter read out loud to a real church. It was not done piecemeal like we're doing it. So just to remind you, let's go back to verse 12 that kind of sets up our passage today. Verse 12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So he's telling them, look, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Okay, what does that look like? Well, he tells us now in verses 13 through 17, and the first thing he says is what there in verse 13? Submit. Be subject to. Submit. Every woman in the room just cringed a bit, didn't you? Submit. Be subordinate. Under obedience. Submit control to. But this is to all of us, actually. And there's nothing about those words that we're into, right? We don't walk around going, yes, I cannot wait to be subject to somebody. That's just not how we're wired, is it? We just kind of reject these words. Here's how it kind of feels, okay? I'm about to do something a little strange here. 
You're not supposed to quote from this particular TV show because no one watches that, although it's the most popular television show ever, actually. It's just about to surpass MASH as being the longest-running television show, but, oh, no one watches it. So anyway, on The Simpsons, there's this time when Homer Simpson runs for garbage commissioner. He gets mad one day because his garbage spills on him. He's like, they, they should do more for us. So he runs for garbage commissioner. And in his campaign speech, he gets there and goes, so let me get this straight. We got to go to the store and buy the stuff. We got to unwrap the stuff and throw it away. We got to throw more away. Once it gets too full, we got to grab, drag this thing out. It drips on us. We get cold. We drag it down. We put it there. We have to wait for them to come pick it up and carry it away. Did we lose a war? That's the mentality that Peter has right here. That's how we feel about the idea of submission when you hear that word. We submit when we've lost. We submit when we've been beaten. We submit when we've been humiliated and are forced to. That's not what submit meant to them. That's what it means to us. For them to submit actually meant mainly just kind of to arrange your life under the guidance of another. You still had freedom. There were just kind of big principles here. It was kind of like the idea of being a disciple to a master or maybe getting a mentor to help speak into your life. It wasn't like a slave to master thing, to the idea of submission. For them, it was organize your life under this big umbrella. So it's not necessarily negative as it would be to us. That's, that's us bringing our culture into this. So don't immediately see submit or be subject and have your walls go up. You need to submit to God's word here and say, okay, what's, what's he trying to tell me? So they're called to submit. And to what exactly? Well, he tells us to human authority structures. Or he says, to every human institution. From the president of the United States down to the president of the athletic boosters. And everyone in between. We are called to submit to them. Now, did you just feel that thing in your gut right then when I said that? Did you feel it? We want to add some, well, put some ifs in there. Put some buts. Put some howevers. Because that's just too absolute, right? Be subject to every human institution. We want to go, yeah, but. But but there's not one. I looked for it. Sorry, I couldn't find it. Peter wrote this about an emperor called Nero. If you know anything about ancient Rome, you should know the name Nero. He was not only cruel, but his own people said he is a horrible leader. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he was one of the first emperors to really grab onto that. The leader of Rome is actually a deity on earth. He was all about that. Yeah, I want to be worshipped. Let's do that. Yeah, I'm a god. Let's go. Peter would eventually be killed by Nero's government. Most of the apostles were imprisoned by this emperor. Most of the New Testament was actually written from a prison cell under this emperor's regime. The early church was persecuted by this Roman emperor's government. And yet here we are told to be subject with no ifs, no ands, no caveats. What could possibly motivate God's people to do that? Well, the text itself tells us, for the Lord's sake. Because we're God's people. We're a different nation. We're a different ethnicity. We are a new kind of humanity in Jesus Christ. And that new identity empowers us to submit. And so we do. Because God had a purpose for our being subject to the authorities, which is where the text goes next. 
our serving brings silence in verses 15 and 16. Look with me at verse 15. What happens when we subject ourselves? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The submission to all human authorities from verse 13 and 14 is the will of God. It will silence the ignorant, Peter says. By, by living as aliens and strangers, we not only avoid idolatry, but we also make sure that we're the best citizens around because that silences the ignorant and the foolish who oppose us. Is there a lot of, uh, is there a lot of foolishness being said about churches today? You ever read something that, that's, that's not what Christians are about. Anybody? Is there a lot of ignorance out there about what churches do and look like? Wouldn't it be great if we could just muzzle that stuff? If we had some sort of way we could just silence all that? We can. It tells us right here, by doing good. Or if that doesn't get you, how about this one? How many times have you let your mind wander, probably like right now, and you, and you kind of all of a sudden think, man, I, I, I wish I just knew what God's will was. You do. He says so right here. This is the will of God. See, this is why we have to be rooted and grounded in the gospel. This is why this is not just a bunch of rules. This is not just good advice or here's how you make a good little church. This is about being a completely new kind of human. Because we have to recognize that we were sinners alienated from God. That we were under his judgment. And yet we still tried to find happiness and peace from everything we could get our hands on. And we never found it. But in his grace and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ to live for us, to die the death that we deserve for our sins before a holy God. He then gives us freedom from those things because by His death He set us free. He then gives us new life. He adopts us into His family. He claims us as His very children. He says, you are mine and I am yours. He fulfills us. He gives us freedom and joy and peace all by His grace. We could never earn it. See, and established in that firm foundation established in that strong identity, we have the power then to submit to those things. Timothy, we just read, was at least a teenager, probably in his 20s, not circumcised. Didn't have to get circumcised to go on this mission trip with Paul. It was not about the gospel. It was about Paul saying, look, we're going to go into Jewish synagogues and preach the gospel, and you can't get in the front door unless you're circumcised. And so, making a bigger sacrifice than any of us have ever made for a mission trip ever, Timothy decides to get circumcised for the sake of the gospel. He was free to do that and free not to do that. What could possibly give him the power in his heart to do such a thing? His new identity in Christ, he was going to do good because it would silence the opposition and spread the gospel. That's what Peter's talking about here. Our doing good. You see, we need to be subject to the human authorities because it's not our rebellion that silences critics. It's not our snark on Facebook that silences critics. It's not our withdrawal from culture, like, I'm sorry, they're dirty, we're clean, stay away. That doesn't silence the critics. It's our doing good. It's our being a benefit to our community that silences the critics. Now, this is distinct from verbal evangelism. This is a different activity completely. This is Christians doing good works in the community. This is the creating of a good reputation by being valuable citizens. 
This is a call to care enough about God's will and to care enough about our neighbors that we do something good. We may or may not ever get to the point where we could verbally talk about the love of God through Jesus Christ, but we are doing good to silence opposition because it's God's will. Let me give you an example of this, just the ones I know off the top of my head. There's plenty others I'm going to miss. But, you know, Ellen works with human trafficking here locally. Heather works with meals for poor kids who are actually leaving school on Friday afternoon and coming back to school Monday morning weighing less because they had no food at home. She said, no, that, that, that will not stand, and she's done something about that for years. Jennifer goes above and beyond for her students at State, more than my, probably most professors, more than any professor I ever had in college did for me. Jan volunteers. Jan, our most senior member of our church, volunteers at King's Daughters. She's at that stage, people should be volunteering for her, but no, she's out there volunteering King's Daughters. The Patricks are, have got their lives right involved in the difficulty and messiness of the foster care system. That's the kind of stuff Trinity needs to be known for. You see, there's so much churchianity around Southern culture. You know it. That most people are deaf to the gospel. But they can see when busy people are loving the community well, they'll want to know why. They may look at us and they may say, those people are homophobic bigots, but we'd have to raise taxes if that church left. They'd do so much good. That's exactly the goal we're looking for. I disagree with them. I don't like them. But man, you can't not help see the good. I got nothing bad to say about them. You see, the Daz presentation we had in Sunday school and just now, this is a ministry we want to focus on. If you're thinking right now, well, what do I do? How can I get involved? See Jane Junket. She's our liaison with Daz. We can get you involved this afternoon. See, we're aliens and strangers, and strangers here. But as aliens and strangers, we're not hostile to our temporary home. Many Christians assume we're supposed to be hostile when we say we're aliens and strangers. Oh, that means my, my defenses are up. No. We love where God has put us. Peter doesn't see us as defensive. He sees us as going out to love where we are. We're not rebels. We're not sullen and pouty about where we live. We are good citizens who do good for the sake of Christ because it's God's will. To help us get this, Peter gives us a great principle. Let's dive back into the scriptures. Let's look at verse 16. Peter tells us, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We could literally kind of rigidly translate that, holding freedom, not as a covering for evil, but freedom as God's servants. You see, part of our freedom, part of our identity as God's people is our freedom. That's what it means to be a, a new person in Christ. means we are free in a way that no one else really is. We are free from sin. We are free from the law. We are free from death. And because God has placed his approval on our life, we are free from the fear of other people. And in that strength, we can then serve them because we're free from them. Oh, it's amazing. If you don't have to get somebody's approval, it's amazing how much you can love them. Whereas if you do have to get their approval, you're actually never really loving them. You're, you're manipulating them so they'll love you. You see, in Christ, established in his love, dear flock, we can be free to love Orangeburg well. Here's how Martin Luther said it, a great reformer said this. He said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. 
A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that goes against everything you think about freedom, doesn't it? Some of you in the room who call yourself Christians, that goes against everything you think you know about freedom. Because our culture has given us a very faulty view of freedom. Freedom is assumed to be what? The ability to do whatever you want, right? So the submission of verse 13 really bugs you, didn't it? No, don't you tell me to be subject. I get to do what I want. I should be free. So Christians are told to submit. And then here Christians are told that they're absolutely free. They're told to submit and then told they're free. That doesn't make sense, does it? And non-Christians especially, you can't get those two things to work together. So perhaps, if I may be so bold, instead of being skeptical about Christianity, maybe you should be skeptical about your definition of freedom. You see, our, what if there is a creator? Just grant that for a second. Let's hypothetical. What if there actually is a creator God? What if he actually has spoken? What if he actually wants us to flourish? Then wouldn't his definition of freedom really make a lot more sense? Because our creator says freedom as self-indulgence, freedom to do whatever you want is actually bondage of another kind. It doesn't fulfill you. The quest of self-indulgence has us constantly looking for some sort of payoff like an addict reaching for a high, we're always trying to get freedom to pay off for us, and it becomes harder and harder to get. We, we never seem to grasp onto real peace and real happiness or stability from constantly indulging whatever we want. But Jesus Christ in the gospel offers real freedom, freedom to flourish, to be who you were meant to be. That is what biblical freedom is. You are now free to be who you were meant to be before sin warped you before sin scarred you, before that junk in your life that you regret even right now, before that changed the path of your life, you are free from all that. You can now be who I intended you to be because I've set you free. That's biblical freedom. Don't you want that? See, Jesus can set you free in the gospel. He gives you real freedom. He promises you fulfillment through serving him. And by the power of the gospel then, dear flock, the church is free to be subject to human leaders in a semi-hostile culture. So for you Christians in the room, I hope you see that. I hope you see that we are not free to withdraw from pagan culture, but we are free to engage it. A good example, right now, racism is on people's minds. The voluntary segregation of most churches during this hour is one of the things that culture uses, is one of the ignorant, foolish things culture uses to, to slander the church. Our denomination has challenged us in this area. And your session has been prayerfully working through and considering what that means since early last summer, a statement of repentance where we actually own sins from the past when we weren't even alive, when our church didn't even exist because we're... The Bible teaches that we are in union with Christ, which means we are in union with each other. And so there is a weird sense in which we're accountable for sins of Christians in the past. And we're looking at this as a session and as leaders, and we're saying, you know, the institutional church from generations past had racism in it. It dropped the ball significantly in the civil rights area, either through sins of direct commission or through sins of omission doing nothing. 
we are looking at how to biblically and faithfully, not with sentimentality, but with actual truth, how do we own that and repent of that in a way that's significant and true, not just a, a bunch of emotionalism? Don't you think that such a thing would help silence those slandering God's people? Or how about this? Of all the places, one of the most exciting and life-changing public schools could go in our community. The Lord has it go right across the street. An all-boys school, a charter school run by African Americans in writing focused on teaching leadership, hoping to raise a generation of men to change the nature of the majority population of Orangeburg County out of a generation of different kinds of thinking to a generation that has new kinds of thinking and leadership to change the culture. What an amazing thing. And then because of bureaucratic opposition, it almost didn't even get off the ground. They couldn't get their building approved from little piddly things that were clearly opposition. And so we hosted them for two months. It was hard. It was difficult. They, those students act a lot different than our little Sunday school boys and girls did, and it was challenging. But don't you think such a thing helps silence the critics of Christianity in Orangeburg? Or how about now that that school is expanding and they're starting to exceed that space and they've come back to us looking to the future and they want to rent a significant part of our building to help educate those boys. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. And so your session is prayerfully considering, are we supposed to do that? Is that something we're called to do? Don't you think that that kind of stuff, that kind of doing good silences the critics of Christianity in Orangeburg? We are called to do good. Because it's God's will and it's what he uses to silence foolish ignorance. Boys and girls, a lot of this may have been over your head so far, so I want to make sure we're not leaving you behind. So let's look together at your verse 15 and 16. Here's how we, we translated this so you could understand what's going on here. Here's what God is saying to us. God wants us to do good for our neighbors because it makes foolish people stop saying mean things about us, but only when we live as God's servants. You see, boys and girls, I want you to think of that one other child at school that you don't like. You're not really sure why, but you just don't like them. I want you to imagine that that person started cleaning up after you every day. I want you to imagine that that person, for no reason, just brought you lunch every day. It'd be hard not to be nice to them, wouldn't it, boys and girls? You may still not like them. There's something about them that bugs you, but man, this person's so nice. That's what's going on here. That's what... Peter is telling these other Christians. He's saying, look, it's hard when people who dislike Christians, it's hard for them to say anything when we do such good for the town. We submit to authority for the good because it silences people when we value them. That's what he's telling us. And so finally, we'll wrap it up with, what does that look like finally? It looks like spreading esteem. Now, if you're not familiar with Scripture that much, if, 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 if the Bible is not really something that's part of your life, that's fine. But you may think of it as merely a rule book, or you may not know what to think about it. But I want you to see that it's actually extremely practical. Peter has given us these principles. He's given us these examples of doing good, of being assets in the community. It silences slander. But what does that really look like? We need instructions. And so he tells us exactly, specifically in verse 17. He says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now the way that that works in Greek, you can't really tell in English, is the first verb, love, uh, honor everyone, is actually the main thought. 
and then the other three are such as's. Here's how we, we captured it for the kids so we can all understand. Let's look at the kids, verse 17. We can say this. So be respectful with your whole life. Love other Christians dearly. Worship God. Be thankful for a president. So let's wrap this up. What, what's going on here? In verse 13, we submit to all sorts of people and structures because all authority comes from God. And now in that submission, we then honor all those authority structures as a lifestyle. It's who we are, and we do it for God's sake. Now let's remember the context of 1 Peter. Or if you haven't been here in a couple weeks, let me tell you the context of 1 Peter. There's trouble within the church he's writing to. They've been questioning God's care of them. Why are these things happening? They're dealing with some initial government-sponsored persecution. So they're having problems in the church, they're having problems understanding the gospel, and they're having problems with their culture. Does that sound familiar to any other churches you know of? That would be a yes, by the way. So, what's he tell us? He says, one, love the brotherhood. This is that unconditional parental type of love, that great word, agape. It's a verb. It's a decision. You don't fall into this like mud. It's not a noun. It's a verb. You do this. You choose to do this. You decide in advance as brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to do something foolish. I'm going to react poorly. It's going to get messy. I choose to love you in advance before that even happens. As I was thinking about this this week, I got so encouraged because our church does this really well, actually. We have several of our members who, let's say, we'll call them characters. And there are times when they play their character role. And over and over again, as a new pastor coming in and as an existing pastor getting to know people, I heard over and over again, oh, that's just how that person is. Give them a couple days, they'll be fine. That's choosing in advance to love. This person is going to blow their top, do something silly. I choose to love them until they get over it. That's loving the brotherhood well. It's basically saying, you know what, I don't care how or when your crazy shows. I love you anyway. Mine will probably show up next week and you'll love me back. That's love the brotherhood. Next thing he tells us, fear God. Don't think of coming cringing in terror. This is worshiping the Almighty as the Creator God. This is taking Christianity seriously. This is recognizing that God is almighty and holy and pure and beautiful, and we're not. And that gap is so big, the only way that gap could be bridged was by the death of His beloved Son, which He did because He loves us. Fearing God means to live in the reality of that grace. Going back again and again for more grace because He's so high and lofty and we keep showing that we're not. And He keeps reaching down and giving us that grace. That's what it means to fear God. And then finally, honor the emperor. Even if we disapprove of the government, even if it is corrupt, we should value it. We should honor it. And unfortunately, in a democracy, so many people, so many of us, we take so much pleasure, don't we, in the harshest, meanest, simplistic criticisms of authorities, don't we? That should not characterize the church, Peter tells us. We can be involved in issues and I would encourage you to have very strong, thought-out opinions and values. And you're going to have honest disagreements with people about the economy, about justice, about war, about life, about death. We can debate, but we do so honorably and respectfully. Remember, Peter says here, honor the emperor. Peter is talking about the man who we know from historical documents 
would crucify him. Who would send Christians to the lions. Who, and you can look this up, would take Christians still alive, have them drowned in a flammable kind of pre-petroleum type substance, hung on stakes in his garden and lit up to be the torches for his outdoor parties. Peter says, honor the emperor. Because that reflects the reality of the gospel in our lives. And so as we're entering an election year, can I just encourage you, whether it's the break room at work or whether it's your Facebook interactions, show the reality of the gospel and how you honor your leaders. Even when you oppose them and their policies. Because such things silence the opposition and slander of the gospel. I will be the first to admit that that's not easy. But we have a great example and the power to do it in Jesus Christ. We talked about Jesus before Pilate last week. I want to take you back in your mind to Jesus standing trial before Pilate. And in that chapter, in John 19 specifically, Jesus and Pilate are interacting and Jesus actually reminded Pilate to his face that his authority was not absolute. The most powerful man in that part of the world, the Roman governor of Judeo-Palestine, he says, you only have the authority that God has given to you. And then what did God incarnate do? He subjected himself to that authority. The Romans were brutal, imperialistic foreign occupiers. A case could be made for their illegitimacy, and yet Jesus Christ submitted. He even refused to castigate Pilate or Rome, actually expressly looking Pilate in the eye and saying, you're not guilty for this, the people who arrested me are. He was the essence of submitting all the way to the cross. You do realize that there there were no nails necessary. Jesus Christ held himself to the cross because it was God's will that he subject himself to those human authorities. Because in his subjecting himself to the human authorities, which was God's will, our redemption was accomplished. There was no other way to bridge the gap between this high and holy God and us. And so Jesus did by being subject to human authorities. And so united to him by faith, changed into a new ethnicity in Jesus Christ. We don't pull ourselves up by our own efforts. We submit and say, Lord, this is so hard. Will you give me the power of Christ to submit? We can And God will use that to spread his kingdom. Let's pray together.